Good morning, Parkway Church. How y'all doing today? Good. I am so glad you're here, especially you, Scott, and I'm glad you're doing good. We are happy that everybody's here, whether you're gathered at Parkway Port Lavaca, Parkway Lone Tree, Parkway Online, or at Parkway Victoria. So, so glad you're here. Uh, we've got some uh, kids with us today, and boys and girls, you've got an activity bag made for you. And so as you work through that activity bag, I have to tell you, everybody, we're doing a little experiment this week. If we could have kindergartner, kindergarten through fifth grade with us in a worship service with an activity bag, and they're able to focus, and they're able to both listen in and worship and have something to do as they do it all, if they do well with it, then next week we're going to create it for every man in the church too. Yeah, it's going to be, I mean, this is game changer for us. We're going to give all the men something to do at church as well. I'm so glad you're here. And obviously, we're joking because, men, you have something to do in the church, and that's to learn and to grow and to take your next step with Jesus. My name is Mike. I'm the senior pastor here. And we are on a journey through Scripture together as a church. We're in the middle of a series entitled Mastermind where we're in the book of Ephesians and looking at how if we can change the way we think, we can change the way we live. And there's powerful truth that we're going to dig into today in Ephesians chapter 2. The big picture of the book of Ephesians, Paul is teaching the church in a town called Ephesus, a city called Ephesus, how they could live their lives in a way that fully reflects Jesus, where they live up to the godly potential that we all have as believers. In week one of this series, we talked about how we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. That when you believed in Jesus, God held nothing back. There's, you've got everything you need to live a good and godly life, pleasing to him and beneficial to other people. And now in Ephesians chapter two, we're gonna step even deeper. Last week, we rethought ourselves. This week, we're gonna rethink God. And Paul is gonna write some very pointed verses and personal verses to you and to me as he wrote to the Ephesus church, the Ephesian church. One of the reasons Paul was able to be so personal and so powerful with this church is that he spent more time in Ephesus than any other city in which he planted a church. For two years, day and night, he worked among these people. He knew these people. He loved these people. When he moved on, he missed these people. And so when he wrote this letter, he was writing to people that he knew and people that he loved and people that he wanted God's best for. I completely get that as your pastor. I get it. You know, this week we celebrate 11 years back as senior pastor. Christine and I celebrate 11 years moving from Washington back to Victoria. And I, I completely get it because when we speak and hang out and do life and ministry, I know you guys, and I love you guys. I know you in Port Lavaca, and I love you in Port Lavaca and at the tree. We aren't talking as strangers. We are coming together as family. We're not talking as strangers. We're talking as people who've seen each other grow up and develop and, and, and be who we are now in the Lord. Those high school students that graduated uh, this past weekend and will graduate next weekend, they were in first grade when God brought us back from D.C. to Washington. I mean, from first grade to this grade, right? God is growing and developing and using all of us. And I'm just so grateful for my small part that I get to play in it. One of the things that makes Parkway unique is that we do have a team of people like Paul towards Ephesus who know you and love you and have been around a long time. Like, if you, can, if you combine my student ministry time 
and my senior pastor time, I'm still the third ranking staff member as far as time. I'm here 17 years. But there are two people that have been here longer. Chris Williams, she's coming up on 20 years of serving Jesus through our church. (laughs) Becky Pilsner, you may know her as Becky Hirschhauser. She recently got married. Becky's coming up on year 19 of serving Jesus in our church. When people say that ministry is personal and powerful through our church, here's why. It's because it's about relationships and people like you and me. It's about us like, connecting deeply in community and laying our lives open before the word of God. And so today, that's all I got for you. I got a, a commitment to relationships. I got a commitment to walking together and doing life together. And I got a commitment to opening the word of God together. Y'all ready to do it right now? Let's do it. Ephesians chapter two, verse one. As we think about our relationship with God, the first thing I'm gonna call you to rethink is actually yourself. I want you to rethink your identity. Now, we spent a lot of time last week looking at our identity in Christ. And Paul, in each of his letters to the churches, is gonna do this again and again and again and again because it is so important for us to understand who we are now is not who we once were. Who we are in Christ is not who we were before Christ. And so I want you to rethink your identity. As we study Ephesians chapter two, Here's the question for you. Who are you first? In all of our lives, we have different identities. We wear different hats. We have different roles. But who are you or what are you first? You ask a guy, like we're sharing a hamburger tomorrow at a Memorial Day party. You ask a guy, what do you do? And he's going to tell you his job. He's going to tell you what role he plays for the company that he's a part of. You ask a woman, what do you do? And she might tell you, a mom's going to tell you, I got three kids, so I do everything. You're going to hear, what do I do based on, like, how do I identify myself based on what I do, based on the kids I have, based on a lot of different things in life, like my different roles. Like I put on the, the role, the hat of dad to my kids. I put on the hat of husband to my wife. I put on the hat of sibling to my brother and sister, and I'm the baby of the family, so it's a great hat to wear. I put on the hat of teammate and coworker with those that I get to lead with here at the church. I put on the hat of friend and community member. I put on the hat of pastor. But there's one hat that comes before every other hat. There's one identity, one role that matters most. Who am I first? See, Paul's going to build the case for all of us. That in our lives, our basic identity isn't based on our marital status or our number of children or our employment status or our our social status. Our primary identity is not based on any of that. But instead, our primary identity is based in the fact that we're in Christ Jesus as believers. We are disciples. And as a disciple, that disciple hat informs my married man hat. That disciple hat tells me how to be a godly dad. That disciple hat tells me how to be a leader that helps and serves others. That disciple hat tells me how to be a sibling that's the baby and not quite as spoiled as I used to be, but still the baby who's funny and likes attention. That disciple hat is the hat that trumps every other hat. It's the top hat, so to speak, of every identity and every hat that I wear in my life. Listen, and it's true for you too. Listen to how Paul writes it, Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. 
As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Paul says for you to understand who you are now as a disciple of Jesus, you need to remember who you were then. And he starts out by saying that you once were dead in your sin and transgressions. You once were dead as you followed the enemy, the evil one, the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You might know him as the devil. As you come and you follow him with your lives because he is leading people today. See, Mike, I get that some people are bad and that some people are like not born as good moral people. But I just have to argue with you a bit. I wasn't somebody who was so bad that it needed action from God. I, I want to argue with you a bit. You know, I'm a moral, good, hardworking person. I'm from South Texas. That gets me some credit with God, right? Well, Paul here says that we were once dead in our sins and transgressions. And we were once following the prince of the air, the one who only wants to hurt us and destroy us. And he, he presses into that person who thinks morality is a measure to get to God or that person who thinks that goodness is good enough. He presses in and writes this, Ephesians 2, verse 3. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were all by nature deserving of wrath. What Paul writes here is your morality, your goodness, your, your birthright is nothing because you were included in the, the sin and the practice of sinfulness with all people. So it's almost as though if one person has done wrong, which we all can admit that at least one person in our midst had done wrong, we're all guilty of the same wrong because we are, as Paul says here, like the rest who were by nature, that's a sin nature statement, who were by nature deserving the wrath of God. You say, Mike, I came to church on Memorial Day weekend to learn that I am dead in my sins and transgressions and I'm deserving of God's wrath. Yes, you did. And I'm so glad you're here because that's who you were if you're in Christ Jesus today. But your new identity in Christ, keep reading to discover it. See, this is where we find hope. This is where we find our future with God. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. See, we once were objects or, or people who deserved God's wrath. We once were people who were dead and caught in sin with no hope and no change. But in Christ, what are you now? In Christ, who will you be forever from the moment you believe? You will forever be one who's made alive in Jesus Christ. You will forever be one who's not bound and trapped and ensnared by that sin. You are now one who's been saved from, freed from, forgiven of. That which would cause you to sin and stumble and fall and fail. You once were one who deserved God's wrath. You are now a recipient of God's grace. You once were dead, now you are alive. This is who you are in Christ. And when you begin to see this, Paul says that you could tap into the hope of heaven 
and you can know the work that you're to do here on earth. Listen to the promise of heaven, Ephesians 2, 6 and 7. And God raised us up in Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show us the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. A lot of times people ask the question, Mike, why is there still so much trouble in the world if God is good and rich in mercy? Well, it's because this world is not the end of the story. There's coming a day when God will show his incomparable riches and his incomparable kindness. And that is the day that though I die, I live. When every wrong will be made right, when every ill will be made healthy, that's the hope of heaven. And friends, as a disciple of Jesus, you have a hope that goes beyond anything you experience today and anything you struggle through in this world. It's the hope of heaven. We have a future home, but we also have current work. Listen to how Paul writes it. As a disciple of Jesus, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. Let's just settle that real quick. What is it that saves us from sin? What is it that saves us from hell? What is it that saves us from ourselves? It is God's grace through faith that you've been saved. If you've never believed in Jesus for life, I invite you to consider this statement. There's one thing that can make you right with God, and that's faith. Faith that you're a sinner who needs a Savior and that Jesus is the Savior of the world. One thing that can save you, and he makes it crystal clear here. This is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we have a new identity, which gives us a hope of heaven and gives us work to do here on earth. Two types of work we need to be up to in our lives, friends. First one is we need to be leaning on God's grace as believers in Jesus. When you believed in Jesus, you looked and said, I'm a sinner who needs God's grace. As a believer in Jesus, if you still need God's grace, would you raise a hand? Port Lavaca Lone Tree, play along. I need God's grace today and each and every day. So one of the jobs of my life as a believer in Jesus is to lean on God's grace and then do the work that God has called me to do. I am God's handiwork and so are you. God has created work for me to do and God has created work for you to do even before the world was created. He had a plan and has a plan and is unrolling his plan for you and for me. See, the disciple of Jesus knows that their identity is found in Christ. And so they've got the hope of heaven and they've got the work of a disciple to do here on earth. Recently, I was thinking about Russell McCarson, our student pastor. I met Russell in a really strange way that shows God's handiwork in his life. About seven years ago, I was in the atrium on a Sunday morning and my phone rang. And it's never good when your phone rings in my world on Sunday. And, and so I looked at it and it wasn't my mom. I was concerned that she may have fallen or something, but it wasn't her. It was a number that was unlisted. And so seven years ago, you could answer a number that you didn't have in your phone. Now you can't. Right? You answer a call now, no, I don't have student loans. No, I don't need a car warranty. No, I don't have IRS tax obligations. But it, seven years ago, you could answer your phone. And so I answered my phone. I said, hello? And this voice on the other end, I'd never heard it before. She says, you don't know me, but my son needs a place to live. Okay. 
His name is Russell and he plans on attending your church. He's never been to your church before, but he plans on attending your church. And he is moving uh, to be a teacher at Victoria High and his apartment isn't ready yet. He needs a place to stay for a week. Can you help him find a place to stay? And he needs it by like tomorrow. I don't know how she got my number, but I, I begin to scan the atrium. That's our lobby area for people. And behind the information desk at the time was a man named Jim Mape. Jim has since gone to be with the Lord. But Jim, Jim was the kind of guy, he had a nice house and he was hospitable spirit. But Jim was also the kind of guy that even if Russell was a serial killer, he wouldn't harm Jim. Right? <laughs> Even if Russell was the worst of the worst, Jim would have been afraid of him, and Jim had already dealt with worse than that in his life. And so I went over to Jimbo, and I said, hey, I've got this school teacher who's coming, needs a place to stay. Can he stay with you? And his voice, sure, Pastor Mike. And Russell found a place. Russell came to teach uh, high school, like, history. This wasn't originally his plan. Victoria was nowhere on his plan. His original plan was I want to be a football coach in West Texas. Can y'all imagine Russell as a football coach? All right, let's run play too. You know, and he'd be like, come on coach, come on coach. He would have been a great coach. He came and he was an excellent high school teacher. He was leading the department by the time he left. One of the youngest teachers on campus is already in charge. As a part of his connection here with our church, he started leading a small group. And he met his wife here, and they were married here. And as a, as a part of that, Russell began to uncover this call to ministry that God had on his life. So all of a sudden, you look back now seven years later, and you see the complete hand of God and orchestration of God on his life. And now Russell's our student pastor who is like doing a phenomenal job influencing college students and high schoolers and junior hires. And you look and you go, he moved him from West Texas to Jim Mabes to Victoria West High School to a small group with college students here at Parkway Church to eventually having an internship and then coming on our staff team. See, God's handiwork is people. And you look and you say, Mike, I am so glad that this God's handiwork talks for preacher boys like you. Because preacher boys can always trace the hand of God and see that they're his handiwork and do the work that he's mapped out for them to do before the ages. But what about normal people like me? Well, last Sunday at Parkway Lone Tree, we had a celebration of a ministry that Lisa and Tony have been doing in our community. Lisa and Tony have a passion for people and meeting needs. And Lisa's an educator, and, and so they are excited about helping people take their next step and get towards graduation. So a couple years back, they started a tutoring agency, a tutoring ministry, they would call it. And they invited all of their potential graduates for this year to come and to be celebrated last Sunday at Parkway. These are people that without this influence and without this help might not, might not have walked the stage yet and might never walk the stage well, last week, they had 22 graduates join them for that celebration and join them for that prayer in sending out at Parkway Lone Tree. If you're not clapping, I don't know why not. Because it is a picture of how God uses people to accomplish his work. Like we can't speed read that passage and say, I hope for heaven and I need to do the work of a disciple. We don't speed read that. 
Because God has a plan and is executing his plan. He uses, he uses people in certain places. He uses people with certain passions. And he uses us as imperfect people who are using our gifts to serve others. You are God's handiwork. You have the hope of heaven and the work of a disciple to do here on earth. That's your identity. And the reason all this matters is because when you begin to understand who you are, you begin to, second, you can fill in this blank, you begin to rethink your relationship with God. In Ephesians chapter two, as we keep reading, Paul is gonna give us an entirely new way of relating to God. He's gonna say, when you understand who you are, you are a child of God and whose you are. God is in charge of your future and has a plan for your life. When you know who you are and whose you are, you can relate to God differently. And there are three ways. Listen to this. The first way, we move from being excluded to included. Now, Paul's about to write some things about like Jewish custom and religious action and activities here. But what he's doing is inviting you and me to see God as one who doesn't exclude us based on the acts of religion, but includes us completely because of Christ Jesus. Listen to this. Therefore, Ephesians 2 verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you were the Gentiles by birth. You who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which done by the human hands. Remember verse 12, that at that time you were separate from Christ excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Paul says, by the old system of religion, you were completely excluded. You weren't born the right race, you're excluded. You weren't circumcised, which is an act done to the body by a man, you were excluded. But in Christ, you are 100% included. And there are two things you get because you're included in Christ. It says here you get hope and you get God in the world. You get hope and you have God's power in the world. Last week we were talking through this passage in a team meeting and Pastor Kim spoke up and he said, whenever I talk about being included in Christ, I always say this. So now I've once impersonated Russell. I will now do Pastor Kim. If this pen is you, and this Bible is Jesus, you have been 100% included in him. You are no longer you. You are a disciple of Jesus, included 100% in Christ. And a lot of times as believers, we hold on to the promise that God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And that is true. God will never leave us nor forsake us. But can we also know that as a believer in Jesus, we are 100% in him, included in him, so that we might know his hope and we might experience his power? That means wherever you go, Christ is with you and is in you. Wherever you go and whatever you do, you have the power of God, the hope of God that you've been included into. It's not a matter of God leaving you. He never will. And it's not even a matter of you leaving God. You never can because you have been included in Christ Jesus. I, I just encourage you next time you're at small group and you're like, hey, you know, I just been thinking that my relationship with God is like this pen and this Bible. I'm included in him. Oh yeah, use it, use it. 
Next time you're having a tough day and you need to be reminded that hope is real and hope is possible, you don't even know what to pray, just grab your pen and place it in your Bible and remember that you are included in Christ Jesus because you are his. You have hope and you have power in the world. Second, because you're in Christ Jesus, you move from hostility to peace. When Paul said a moment ago that we were objects that deserve God's wrath, what he was describing is the war that goes on between people and God and the sinfulness of man and a holy God. We once were at war with God because of our sinfulness. We once deserved his wrath because of our sinfulness. But we have now moved from being people of wrath and people of hostility to people of peace. Here's a question for you. Do you believe that God is sometimes for you and sometimes against you? See, when you think that God is sometimes for you and sometimes against you, you're missing the fact that you have moved from being one who's hostile toward God and with God, one that might experience the hostility and judgment of God. You've moved from that position to being a person who has 100% peace with God. God is always for you. Romans chapter 8 says that what can be against us? Nothing. If God is for us, nothing can stand against us. God is always for us. Listen to how Paul describes it. Ephesians 2, 14 through 18. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. Paul's describing a part of the peacemaking process that Jesus does in people is that when we believe in him, he brings every race, he brings every tongue, he brings every social group, he brings everyone together under the name of Christ. The only reason we hang out together like we do as a church is because of who Jesus is to us. That's why every race, that's why every person, that's why every group is welcome to be a part of the life-changing, life-giving community of our church family. Because Christ brings us together. It's not just about us getting along with each other. It's also about us having a relationship with God. Verse 17. He came and preached peace to you, you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. How is it that we have access to God? Who is it that gives us this standing where we're no longer at war with God, but have peace with God, where God is always for us and never against us? It's Jesus. By his flesh, when he died on the cross, he met every standard, every requirement. The law has been overcome, has been fulfilled in Christ. You can believe and have peace with God. And that peace with God gives you the potential of peace with others. You know, recently, my family has been through a challenge. In fact, a year ago, we just started experiencing victory and overcoming one of the most challenging situations and circumstances and illness in my family. And in the midst of that, and I wasn't going to share this. I, I, I haven't shared it because it's one of my kids. And my kids aren't an illustration, right? They are my kids. 
They are an illustration if it's really funny, right? But if it's really serious, and this was, one of my kids, we didn't know if she would have a permanent disability. We didn't know if her future would be forever altered. We didn't know if she would survive. We had more questions than answers. We just knew that there were a lot of doctor's appointments we were going to, and there were lots of of symptoms that we're seeing that nobody could explain, and it was really scary. And and I, I felt like sharing this story today at this very moment, but I didn't plan on it because my daughter's not an illustration. And then I get to church today, and I hear that her story was written up in the Victoria Advocate the whole story. I'm like, well, I guess I get to share it now from the God side. You know, when we were helping her deal with all that she was going through, there was facial paralysis, there was weakness along her right side, there was an inability to eat on her own, there was um, a long list of things that came. She lost her voice for nine months. In that season, Christy and I never looked at each other and asked the question, is God mad at us? Is God upset with us? Have we done something where God is no longer for us? A lot of people, when their kids face crisis or trauma, they begin to look and say, what have we done wrong that God would cause this? A lot of people, when they, first, when they face personal trouble and trauma, they turn away from God instead of turning to God because they don't quite get it. That once you have peace with God, that's a permanent peace with God. In fact, I could not have had peace through that situation without knowing that I have peace with God that no thing and no one could take away. Friends, when you understand who you are, you can have peace with God and peace with people and peace in circumstances. And I preached that on the victory side for my daughter. She ran cross country. She couldn't walk a year ago. This past fall, she ran cross-country. A year ago, she couldn't... A year ago... A year ago, she couldn't open her her right eye under her own power. And now she's got full vision. A year ago, she couldn't talk. And now it's blah, 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 blah. Right? All the time. She stored up all those words. I'm preaching from the victory side. But I want to remind you, if you're in the middle that God is for you. I want to remind you that if you're in the middle, you have peace with God. This is not a punishment for your wrong. God's not going to hurt your child because of something you did. That's my conviction. God may discipline us, yes. God may prune our lives, yes. But punish a child for the sins of a father? Mm -mm. Because we are in Christ. We are his kids. We are included and we are in a peace-filled relationship with God. As you think about your story, one of the things that we grew out of this experience with my daughter was an intimacy with God that we had, quite frankly, I had lost. And one of the things that God does when we are in Christ is he makes us not only have a peaceful relationship with him. And not only does he include us, but he also makes us family. And y'all can fill in that last blank. He makes us family. He turns us from being strangers to being family. 
The reason we encourage boys and girls and men and women to believe in Jesus is without Jesus, we are strangers to God. We're not his children. But with Jesus, we're adopted in. We are added into his family, and that family can never be taken away. And there's an intimacy that God desires to walk with you in. As a believer in Jesus, as a disciple who's got the hope of heaven and the work to do here on earth, there's an intimacy that God wants you to walk in. And it's a family intimacy. It's an intimacy that when life throws you a curveball, you don't go run and hide from him, you run to him. It's an intimacy that says, even when I don't know all the answers to every question, I don't even know the questions to ask God, I'm still going to come to you and I'm still going to seek you. It's that intimate relationship that he desires because you're not a stranger to God anymore. You are his family. And I encourage you this week to remember who you are and whose you are. And to remember that you are a son or a daughter of Christ. If you've believed in him for life, you are his child. And he's holding on to your future and you can trust him. You can have hope and you can have power because of your relationship with God. Friends, this week, will you live knowing who you are and whose you are? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the chance to open the word, to learn and grow together. Lord, I pray that you would help us all to live in the power that we have and the hope that we have in Christ. Lord, I pray for those that need to be reminded that they are 100% included in you as believers. Father, you have completely covered our lives You have completely forgiven our lives. You have completely brought us into a peaceful, loving relationship with you. And God, I pray that you would help us to live with you intimately. Not as strangers, but as family. Church family, maybe right now you just need to pray and say, God, I just want to trust you. With the curveball that life has thrown, with the question mark that life has left. God, I just want to trust you with my work and my handiwork that you've called me to do. God, I want to trust you. As the church prays, if you've never believed in Jesus for life, I encourage you to make today your day. You can believe in Jesus and find life, new life here on earth and life forever with him in heaven. If today's your day, you can mark it with a prayer. You can pray, Jesus, I believe. I believe that I'm a sinner who needs a savior and that you are the savior of the world. Thank you for coming for me, for dying in my place and being raised again from the dead. Today, I believe. Thank you for giving me life.